Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. Six hundred and thirteen. I had six hundred and thirteen rules to follow. Can you imagine that? Can, can can you even understand how many that is? And 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 I I knew every one of them, and I followed them mostly. So there I am sitting across from Jesus. And he looks at me and says, Nicodemus, it's not about the rules. <laughs> I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but essentially that's what he's saying. It's, it's not about the rules. Not about the rules. Look at this from, from my perspective. Um, I'd seen him come in the day before, and, and, and he had turned the temple upside down. This is the place, mind you, that, that I'd spent my life preserving. So you can imagine how much I wanted to have a talk with him in a secluded place at nighttime. How would you feel if someone... Someone said to you, someone you respected, they tell you that everything that you'd dedicated your life to had missed the mark completely. You're a fool. That's how you feel. So I said something to him. One rule that seems too good to be true, because it was. Believe he's the Messiah. Believe he's the one that was promised. And he said it like he just glazed over it like it was some simple thing. And then went on talking about good and evil and I'm thinking wait go back go back to where you took what was so complicated and made it not complicated my whole life was in those complications my my religion was in those complications making sure to follow the details of the laws. I made sure that every T was crossed. I thought that is what was going to save me. 613 laws. I was wrong. 
It was love that saved me. For God so loved. This thing's heavy. Good morning, Real Church. How are y'all? My name's Jonathan. Uh, my wife and Tiffany and I, we've been married six years. Uh, going on six years in November. My mom's here, Kathy Wood. Uh, my mom, if I'm correct, was mom on the board that brought you on 14 years ago, 2005. So Barry and Wendy lived in Jackson, Tennessee. 14 years ago, they were called to Palmetto, Georgia, Palmetto Baptist Church. At the time, I had just turned, I was about to turn 16 years old. Driving, it was 2005. My mom, uh, along with many others at Palmetto Baptist, is the, they were on the search committee that brought Barry on, and that has been one of the most uh, unique experiences <laughs> I've ever had in my life. Uh, Barry and Wendy Blake, great people. And um, Tiffany and I have been serving at First Baptist Church Sonoy for the past four years as Minister of Students and Discipleship. Uh, like I said, Tiffany and I have been friends with the Williamses along with, along with my mom and dad for the past 14 years, uh, and it's been a blessing to, to know them and to grow with them. Last time I was here, I told a funny story about Barry. I have to tell another one, but it involves Blake. Do you want to hear it? Okay. All right. So when I was in the student ministry, I would help serve in the nursery or it wasn't necessarily the nursery. It was kind of like children's church. Children's Sunday school, that sort of thing. And so one Sunday, Blake ended up in my class. Blake, he doesn't misbehave now, but he did when he was little. And he's sitting there like a little precious, like a little angel. Blake would kind of give fits every once in a while. And so Barry, would, of course, would threaten him and say, listen, son, you need to behave. It was all biblical, of course. He didn't beat him too much, but it was all biblical. So Barry would threaten him. And so one Sunday... I don't know if it was during Sunday school, during one of the morning services. I don't know which one it was. But we threatened Blake. Blake was misbehaving during, you know, children's church, Sunday school, whatever it was. And I said, Blake, I'm going to go get your dad if you don't calm down. And he kept doing whatever he was doing, right? I said, Blake, I'm going to go get your dad. I'm going to call you. I'm going to text your dad and tell him you're misbehaving. He's going to come up here and he's going to whoop you. And he said, no, don't call my dad. My dad said if I misbehaved, he would make me eat a turd sandwich. <laughs> Do y'all believe that story? Because it is absolutely 100% true. A turd sandwich. Blake, did you ever have to eat a turd sandwich? No. no. That's good. <laughs> good story. So you're in this, speaking of story, you're in the story... Um, called this is my you're in the series sermon series called this is my story and in this sermon series Barry has, has emphasized to you three things in each sermon first our story originates with God two God provided an example for how to walk out your story three God provided a guide along the way am I at the right church am I at the right church have we been paying attention yeah when I was, Barry sent me this information, and as I was studying that information, I ran, I, it struck me that Barry is a very Trinitarian kind of guy. He likes the Trinity. Because if you focus on these three objectives of the sermon series, every one of them touch on every person 
of the Trinity. I don't know if you picked up on that. God, our story originates with God, right? God being the creator, God being in the beginning, creating everything. That is God the Father. God provided an example for how to walk out your story. That would be Jesus. Jesus is the only one, though many think they're perfect. Jesus is the only one who ever has walked this earth and has been perfect. God provided an example for how to walk out your story. That would be Jesus. God provided a guide along the way. Any guesses who that might be? Holy Spirit, right? Holy Spirit. And so when I preach at a church or if I preach at my own church, I try to keep everything as normal as possible. And so I'm continuing in this series called This Is My Story, This Is Our Story. And I want to, the sermon will parallel these three um, these three objectives that Barry has laid out for us. So this morning, we're going to continue with a story of Nicodemus from John chapter 3. You saw it a minute ago. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with them to John chapter 3. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 21. And I'm in the CSB. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs unless you, signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of spirit and water, water and spirit and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Verse nine. How can these things be, asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I told you about earthly things, you don't believe, and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man." Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And this is a very familiar text to you, John three sixteen. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in me. He has not believed in the same, in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light, of the, wor- the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their, evil, their deeds were evil. Verse 20, For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Let's pray. Father, there's nothing that we can say or do that's more important than the reading of your word. Your word changes us. Your word was presented and, and, and molded in such a way that it, that it has power to change us, change our thoughts, change our attitudes. Father, it also speaks to our story. And Father, you have created us in your image. We don't take that lightly. 
But, Father, our actions don't always reflect that truth. And so, Father, in these moments, we pray that you would help us parallel and and, and define our lives by your word, that we would own up to the fact that we are created in your image, that we would act as such, Father, that you have provided the example, and that, Father, you have provided a way to guide us in and out of life. And, Father, we'll talk about that this morning. And so, Father, I pray that these 21 verses of Nicodemus will help us to better our lives. Because, Father, we live in a world that it is difficult to be a follower of Christ. We live in a world that makes it difficult to love you and to follow you and to be obedient to you. And so help us in these moments to be transformed by your word and by this sermon series at Real Church Coweta. Father, I pray for Real Church Coweta. I pray that souls would be reached, that people would be discipled, and that we would reach out through in, in, in community through uh, the teaching of your word. And Father, we just pray over Coweta County, pray over Fayette County. We pray over the surrounding counties who may be interested, uh, potential prospects of coming to Real Church Coweta. We pray for them. We pray for their families. And Father, if there's encounters ahead of time, in which we're going to run into people to bring people to church, to invite people to church. I pray that you would prepare the way. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would go before us and prepare the hearts of people that we'll have conversations with so that, uh, so that your kingdom will grow. Father, we're more concerned with the growth of your kingdom than we are of Real Church Coweta or of any other church. Father, we just want people to come to know you. And so may our words and our actions and our story reflect that desire that we have in our hearts. We love you so much. In your name I pray. Amen. So, the gospel's pretty simple, right? Jesus came, died on the cross for my sins, for your sins. If we believe that that truly happened, we can live forgiven. That's, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And you take the four gospels and you read, all about, you read about all these different accounts. You read about the genealogy of Jesus. You read about the birth of Jesus. You read about Jesus in the temple as a young boy. You read about parables. You read about Jesus' ministry, the resurrection, the... Um, the, last, the last parts of, of all four Gospels, and we become very, very familiar with the Gospel. But as a student, uh, I'm studying to, um, to get my master's at New Orleans Seminary, and the more I read and the more I study, they give you ways, the techniques that you can study the Scriptures and, and you know, uh, expound on new truths that, that you didn't know before. The truths have always been in the Bible, but they're new to you. And so this morning, there's some truths about this story in Nicodemus that I've never preached on before, that I've never seen before. Uh, there's three points, two of them I've never seen before, and I've never, they've always been in the Bible. They're not new to the Bible, they're new to me. Hopefully they'll be new to you too. And the third one is a truth that we must stand on as Christians. So when we take a closer look at the gospel, there's three things that I want you to see in this story of Nicodemus. Number one. We will see that spiritual birth trumps physical birth. In verse 4, Nicodemus was thinking in terms of physical birth. And then he asked Jesus a question. He's thinking in terms of how how can someone be born twice? How can someone go into their mother's womb and then be born again? And Jesus answers that question by saying, you must be born of water and the Spirit. In other words, physical birth spiritual birth. Nicodemus says, how must I be born again? What are you talking about? These 600, sorry, 
iPad. The 300, I didn't realize I was that close to me. 316 laws, sorry. What are you talking about, this new spiritual life? He's confused. By Jesus answering Nicodemus' question with an answer of spiritual birth, we can gather that Jesus sees spiritual birth as more important than physical birth. Read it again. Let's read it again in verses 4 and 5. It says, this is Nicodemus talking. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And then here's Jesus' answer. Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asked him a question about being born again, about all these laws, about everything. He's put all his eggs, all his eggs in this one basket about living here, obeying these laws, being a super, super smart guy. Uh, this this uh, Pharisee sect that he was a part of with, with, under the Sanhedrin was would parallel our Supreme Court. And so obviously he's an important guy, right? Very important guy. Physical birth, spiritual birth. He asks a question about physical birth. Jesus answers with spiritual birth. And that tells us alone that spiritual birth trumps physical birth. Nicodemus, much like you and I, is asking, God, is asking Jesus at the time, how can someone be born twice? I was there when both of our children were born. They were both very little. One was six pounds. One was seven pounds. You know, I can't see gross stuff. And so my approach to the cheerleading was I had a head in, my head in the corner, my other hand on Tiffany's hand saying, you got it, baby. You're doing a great job. You know, in the meantime, my face is turning white every time I turn around. So the nurse makes me sit down. It's just not something that I can go through, you know, very often. It's only been twice, right? And so Nicodemus is asking this physical question, how can someone physically be born twice, right? My mom's here. I don't know how I could be born physically twice, right? I weigh more and I'm taller than my mom. I mean, that's, it's just not, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, okay? It's not going to work. But Jesus is talking about being physically born. He's talking about being physically born with the capability of spiritual birth. Because the honest truth is, and we'll talk about this in a minute, the honest truth is all of us in here have been physically born, right? It's just a fact. We're all physically born. We've all been physically born. The, the, the sad truth is perhaps not all of, us, all of us have been spiritually reborn. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Did you know that accepting Jesus Christ is the most important decision that somebody can ever make? And that's not just a church statement. That's just a reality statement. It's more important than where you graduate from. It's more important than how many degrees you have, what you eat, where you live, what you drive, how much money you make, how successful you are, who we marry, how many kids we have, how your kids turn out, how successful your kids turn out, how much we tithe, how often we come to church, how often we serve. All that is secondary to spiritual birth. All that secondary to accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Spiritual birth trumps physical birth because making a decision to live for eternity is more important than anything else we can possibly do. Nicodemus spent his whole life learning these 613 laws, and the laws were to be obeyed. And then he heard at the end of the video, uh, of course, I was a skit guy. That was obviously not Nicodemus, but the guy was, I think he did a great job. Has anybody ever seen that video before, by the way? Anybody? I hadn't either. It was very powerful. 
He spent his whole life, and at the very, very end, he realizes that it's not the rules, it's not all the work, it's not all the hard blood, sweat, and tears staying up, making sacrifices to learn these laws and to be, to be such a high standard in the Sanhedrin. It wasn't all that. It was accepting Jesus Christ. It was declaring him to be the Messiah that would save him. It was love that saved him, but not the rules. Do you believe that? Number two, and we're going to spend most of our time here. We will see a stark contrast. When we look at the gospel a little more closely, the story of Nicodemus, we will see a stark contrast between what we will experience physically and what we will experience spiritually. Let's break it down a little bit. This is found in verses 6, 7, and 8. In verse 6, the statement made by Jesus is one of, the, is one of many where he draws a line in the sand. Jesus does this a lot. He says, you're either going to follow me or you're not, right? He's talking to Nicodemus, and we're seeing that here in verse 6. After establishing new birth and physical birth with Nicodemus, Jesus draws the line between being born physically and being born spiritually. And so in verse 5, Jesus asked, or in verse 4, Jesus asked, Nicodemus asked Jesus about being born again. Jesus responds, like we just said, about spiritual birth. And now, now that, that that groundwork has been established, Jesus is coming in and he's saying, he's drawing a line in the sand and he's saying there must be a defining difference in the life of a person born of the flesh and in the life of a person born of the Spirit. In verse 7, Jesus tells Nicodemus to not be surprised by what he is suggesting. And my guess is Nicodemus came to Jesus at night He's an older guy. He came to Jesus at night. There's much debate on why he came to Jesus at night. But we can assume, just like these skit guys did, that he came at night because Jesus had done some things and said some things that had offended the people of the Sanhedrin. And so he's coming to him at night. Number one, I'm thinking, because he doesn't want many people to see that he's coming to Jesus at night. Number two, you come to somebody at night when they're a little more relaxed, right? And so he's coming to Jesus and he's wanting to talk to him and and straighten out some of these things so that tomorrow can be a new day, right? That's just what I'm thinking, okay? And so Jesus comes, so Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus is telling him all these things about being born again and, and, and laying the groundwork for spiritual birth, uh, being reborn in the Spirit. And as you can imagine, Nicodemus' body language is just absolutely like, he's floored. And very rarely in Scripture do you ever see a, a verse of Scripture that is dedicated to body language. And we'll read about that here in a minute. But in verse 8, Jesus compounds the truth about spiritual birth with the mysterious pathway of the life of the person who is born of the Spirit. Let's read 6, 7, and 8. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. In other words, Jesus is saying, like I just said, He is drawing the line in the sand. Drawing the line in the sand. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. In verse 7, here's this body language verse. Do not be amazed that I told you to be born again. In other words, on top of the fact that Jesus is already all-knowing, right? If he's God, if he's 100% God, just like God the Father is 100% God, the Trinity is 100% God, if God is 100% If Jesus is 100% God at this time, he already knows what Nicodemus is thinking, right? But not only that, 
But it's got to be written all over his face because it's recorded in the text. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. If we were to have this same conversation with Jesus, Jesus would have this same response to us. Do not be amazed at what I'm telling you. Okay? Do not be amazed. You were floored, but this is only verse 7. By gosh, I have 14 more to go. So sit down, eat your your donut, drink your coffee, and let's, let's go. Okay? I know you're floored. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear it sound, this is verse 8, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So what Jesus does is he's at Nicodemus ask him, how can someone be born twice? Jesus says, someone can't be physically born twice. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Verse 6, Jesus says, whoever is born of the flesh is, is flesh. Born of the spirit is spirit. Jesus has drawn the line in the sand. He's, he's already told Nicodemus to sit down. And now he's saying the life of the person born of the spirit is going to be a life that you cannot follow with your finger. And it's a life that you cannot project in the human mind. Let's read verse 8 again. And this verse scares the devil out of me because I'll, read, I'll tell you about it in a minute. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. Jesus wants Nicodemus to see that a person born of the flesh and a person born of the Spirit will live two completely different lives. And it's a guaranteed fact, like I just said earlier, that every single person in this room has been physically born, Right? I was born at Piedmont Noonan. Tiffany was born at Piedmont Noonan. Our two kids were born at Piedmont Noonan. My dad was born at Piedmont Noonan. A lot of people around our family were born at Piedmont Noonan. Some of raise your hand if you were born at Piedmont Noonan. Anybody? No? Oh my goodness, that's horrible. Really? <laughs> Tiffany and I are the only ones in here that were born at Piedmont Noonan. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Anyway... Nonetheless, you don't have to be a physically born human being if you're born at Piedmont Noon, and I'm just, I was just asking. But apparently that was the wrong question, okay? So, obviously all of us in here have been physically born at some point. But the honest truth is, not all of us have been spiritually reborn. Can I tell you a secret? So in verse 8, verse 8, let me tell you why verse 8 scares me. Because... I felt a call into ministry. Barry helped out with that a lot because he appointed me to be on a leadership team that I didn't think I needed to be on when I was in high school. Long story short, I felt a call into ministry. Shortly after, he kind of nudged me uh, in the direction that I needed to be. And I soon realized that I was called into ministry. And after camps and, and, and quiet time I re- and, 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 and journaling, I realized that there's nothing that I can do to separate myself from this calling. There's nothing that I can do. There's nowhere that I can hide. There's nowhere that I can work. There's nothing that I can do to separate myself from this calling that's been put on my life. And so I read verse 8, now that I have a family and two kids, the wind blows where it pleases, you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, I can project, I can try to look ahead, I can try to make plans for my family, make plans for the church, make plans for my life, make plans all ahead. You you can already tell by the way I speak that I'm thinking ahead of what I'm saying now because I jump ahead in the text, and I know that's a problem, as my seminary professors tell me. Jerks. Gosh. Just because they think they have a PhD means they can tell you what to do. I mean, 
whatever. Tiffany was laughing at me last night because I got to go off on a little tangent because I, I, I got back a graded sermon brief that we had to do, you know, so many sermon briefs in this preaching practicing class. And he said that I said, he said, what did he say? It was two words that he said that I didn't say right. It was nothing. He said, I said nothing. I'm thinking, I'm about to nut up on you if you don't shut up talking to me. <laughs> nothing? Really? And I read that right before I'm, you know, going over my last notes for this. And I'm thinking, well, that's, I mean, that's like, like, like farting in the elevator, man. Like, I got to preach tomorrow, and you're telling me how awful I am. None of your business, son. Anyway. They drive me crazy. Anyway. They drive you crazy, Barry? They're so mean. Anyway. Anyway, so the reason verse 8 scares me is because I'm projecting ahead, I'm thinking ahead, I'm looking ahead, but I don't know where God's going to take me. That's what scares me to death because I read in the Bible uh, that, that you are to surrender wholeheartedly to the Spirit, let, allow the Spirit to move you, allow the Spirit run, r- take all of your decisions, all of your plans, run it through the Holy Spirit and, and, and allow Him to make those decisions for you and prepare the groundwork and let you just walk through and He has it all paved out for you. But here's the honest truth. I'm scared to do that sometimes. Because I have a family, I have a wife, I have a three-year-old and a four-year-old. There's a lack of certainty in this earthly perspective. When we're born in the flesh, and we live like we're born in the flesh, we can kind of project out what we want to do. We can kind of make our American dream work. Does that make sense? But according to verse 8, if we live by the Spirit, that American dream... That American dream is pretty much wiped out by verse 8. So it is born with everyone of the Spirit. You don't know where the wind, the wind blows where it wants to. You hear it sound. You don't know where it's going. You don't know where it's coming from. You have no idea. That's a Spirit leading a Spirit-led person's life in their faith. You have no idea. You have no idea. And you have to surrender to that Spirit. Nicodemus put all of his eggs in one basket, and it did not guarantee the results that he had hoped for. I heard a story one time about Ernest Hemingway. Please tell me you've heard of Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> okay. Ernest Hemingway, you've probably heard this story before about how all his li- uh, he wrote the story about this man. All his life he wanted to catch this ginormous fish, and so he never did. He finally took, he decided to take a, like a fishing expedition, went out to the sea. He was gone several weeks. He finally caught this ginormous fish that he had always been wanting to catch. In fact, the fish was so big that it could not fit into the boat. And so he had to tie off the fish to the side of the boat and drive his way back to the shore. But here's the problem. The whole time he was excited about telling everybody and really bragging about the fact that he was able to catch this big fish, something that he had always wanted to do. And so by the time he got to the shore, after fighting off with oars and everything else, trying to fight off sharks and other fish who were eating his fish, by the time he got back to the shore, his fish was a skeleton. So it was a huge fish, a huge skeleton of a fish. But it was just a skeleton. I'm afraid that most people, most all people, 
born of the flesh, who never make a decision for Christ, who never make a decision to live by the Spirit, who never yield to the Spirit to make decisions for them, to prepare the way for them, people who never make that decision often find themselves at the end of, the, at the end of their life with a skeleton. And quite frankly, if you're aging right now, you may be seeing some bones sticking up and it scares the daylights out of you. Because everything that you had worked for is slowly getting eaten away. Right? Slowly getting eaten away. The life of someone who lives for himself or herself is a fleshly life that ultimately ends in disappointment. And if they've not accepted Christ by the time they take their last breath, they are headed straight for hell. The life of someone who lives by the guidance of the Spirit, will end in satisfaction with anticipation for eternity. You read it in Paul's words all the time. He says, if I'm here or there, I'm fine because I'm in the presence of God. He said, I don't care. I don't care. If I get beat to death, he spent most of his time in jail, wrote most of his letters in jail. I don't care. Even in jail, I'm in the presence of God. I'm being led by the Spirit. I'm here because that's where I'm supposed to be right now. Do you feel the same way? Number three, we will see that all who experience spiritual birth in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. This is based in John 3.16. John 3.14 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Life. First Peter 1 verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Once someone has wholeheartedly experienced the love of Jesus Christ, they are saved, Right? As the Bible puts it, they are saved. All who believe in me will be saved, will spend eternity with me. You're secure in your eternal destiny. But in verse 4 of 1 Peter 1, Peter speaks uh, to the eternity by describing it as, uh, as an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Can you imagine something that's imperishable? Imperishable. Something that's imperishable is something that Tiffany and I do once a month. We, we, we make our grocery shopping list based on food items that are imperishable, right? So we go to Sam's once a month at the beginning of the month, and we buy stuff that we know will not be bad by the time of the end of the month, right? And essentially won't be bad over the course of the next six, uh, three to six months, right? Paper towels, toilet paper, apple juice. Capri Suns. Tiffany, help me. Stuff for the kids. Okay, That's pretty much it. Okay, We may have coffee, and that's about it. But if you take fruit or bread or even some of those cookies, Sam's cupcakes are very cheap, by the way. Do y'all know that? If you need cupcakes, just go to Sam's, and they're very good. They're not as good as Publix, but they're cheaper than Publix, right? Sorry if somebody works at Publix. Okay. Anyway, but we're not going to buy fruit, we're not going to buy vegetables, and we're not going to buy bread because come the end of the month, what's going to happen? 
it's going to be molded, right? There's going to be mold on it. It's going to decay. It's going to start stinking. It's, you're going to have fruit flies. It's going to be ugly, right? You're going to go to get. You're going to go, go to make a sandwich. Look through the clear bag of the bread and see a big gray spot. And you're like, great, you know, okay. So we tend to buy that stuff at the grocery store and buy the uh, stuff that's not perishable from Sam's. That's kind of how we do. That's our approach. If that's right or wrong, I don't know, but that's what we do. The Bible describes heaven as being imperishable. Can you imagine that? Everything that God has made good here on planet Earth, right? You have, you know, God has made, if we believe that God has made everything, God has made a tree, if that that tree produces an apple, eventually that apple will perish away, right? It's made of God, everything's, you know, everything's natural, it's good, but in heaven, one day, those apples won't be bad. Does that make sense? Things won't go bad when we get to heaven. Imperishable. Undefiled. Undefiled simply means uh, without being sold or warping uh, or without warping due to exposure. So if you take a gallon of water, pour it on your hardwood floor, leave for vacation, come back, what's going to happen? That hardwood floor is going to buckle up, right? It's going to be warped. It's going to be defiled, right? It's been exposed to something, therefore it's starting to deform, Right? Heaven's not that way, guys. It's not that way, church. It's not that way at all. Unlike our world that is imperishable, undefiled, heaven's not like that. What about unfading? Unfading would be like a continuous cycle that never ends. In infinity, do we have any math teachers in here? I'm, I'm done asking questions. Do we have any people who like math? Who like math? Yeah, you've heard of the term infinity, right? An infinite number. If you take calculus, you talk, you talk about the infinite numbers. It's, it's crazy. I never, I've never used that. Didn't do well in calculus. But that's what you find out. It's unfading. It's never going to, and, and it comes from the, from the term perennial, right? Like perennial flowers. Have little bulbs in the ground. They come up. They bloom at a certain time of the year. They die away. You pull up the old the old foliage and the old leaves, and then it comes right back every year. Every year it's on a vicious cycle coming back. Everything in heaven is imperishable. It's not going to fade away. It's undefiled. It's not going to warp due to some type of exposure, right? And that could be argued as sin in the world. And it's not going to be fading. Heaven is forever. It's permanent. And honestly, us us choosing to live by the Spirit now prepares us for what's to come. And pay attention to the end of verse 4 in 1 Peter 1. It says, it is kept in heaven for you. In other words, the life that we're living now, a life lived by the Spirit, is a life that will be rewarded to us. It's something that's being kept for us. It's waiting for us. It has already been prepared and it's waiting for us. It's an inheritance from God. How does this all tie back in with Barry's sermon series, right? We've seen videos, you've seen testimonies of people. This is my story. What's your story? This is my story of how I've reconnected with God. This is how my re- this is how I've how I've drew a line in the sand and I've lived a life that is completely different. Our story originates with God. We are created in the image of God. Uh, we were created in the image of God. We have been physically 
born. The fact that we are living is a miracle. Psalm 139 verses 13 through 16 says, For it is for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have remarkably and wondrously I have been remarkably and wondrously made. You know your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them them began. Our story begins with God, and there's nothing we can do about it. Do you hear me? There's nothing we can do about it. Two, God provide an example for how to walk out our story. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, found in John 3, is a guide along the way. He provides the example for how to walk out our story by distinguishing what is physical birth and what is spiritual birth. Because the honest truth is, some of us, even if we've been converted, even if we've accepted Jesus Christ, tried to live by the Spirit, our natural tendency and how we behave most of the time is going to be due to our physical nature, not led by the Spirit. He provided the example for how to walk out our story, and that's what Jesus did with Nicodemus. And Did you know that God provided a guide along the way? In this judgment, this is verse 19, in this judgment, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For Nicodemus, his guide along the way was Jesus, right? That's, he had a conversation with, he had a physical conversation with Jesus. Has anybody ever had that before? I already know the answer to that. Okay. For us today, The guide along the way is the Holy Spirit. Listen to John 14, and I promise I'm done. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Our story begins with God. God provided a way to walk out the story. God provided an example to walk out the story, and he provided a guide along the way to help us. Rick Warren said that through salvation, our past has been forgiven, our present is given meaning, and our future is secured. My question to you this morning is, has there ever been a point in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has there ever been a point in your life that you've done that? If so, if so, how does your life reflect that now? If there's something you need to pray about, the altar is open. Are we singing one song after this? The altar will be open. Pastor Barry's here. If there's something that you need to confess, something that you need to repent of, if there's something that in your life that you need to get rid of or in which you, you, you clearly define, since you now realize that spiritual birth trumps physical birth, I need to change this because at the end of my life, my life will be a skeleton. Everything that I've ever hoped and dreamed of will be a skeleton, and I haven't been living by the Spirit. If that's you, please come forward as I pray. Father, I pray for the... Real Church Coweta, I pray for the people in this room. Father, no one's here by accident. Everyone's here because either they've chosen to be here or you've led them to be here. But either way, Father, it's not an accident that they're here. Father, you make it very clear in your word that there's a big difference between physical birth and spiritual birth. All of us are breathing, therefore we have been born. But Father, you, you give the invitation for everyone to come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And that's spiritual birth. And so, Father, if someone's not done that, I pray that they would. Father, if someone has surrendered that part of their life to you, I pray that they would uh, 
repent of some things that they need to repent of, that they would get rid of some things, that they would, that they would come clean with you and start to live a life that is led by the Spirit. Father, we pray for our weeks. We pray for our families. We pray for this church. We pray for the people who are unchurched around us. We pray that we would reach them through the love that they can see reflected in us. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless, and remember to love God, love others, and live real.